in a world where podcasts are free, where artists dream to work on their passions full-time, one marketing department dares to capitalize on this newfound opportunity. The commercialing. How modern artists pay their bills in podcasting apps everywhere. I am Anansi, keeper of stories. Settle down while I stir the pot. Join me while I spin a tale. Welcome to Anansi Storytime. I'm your host, Terry Barston. Today we have a story about the terrible and undreamt of adventure of a would-be knight errant and his errors on his errands. Our story is called The Good Fortune of Valiant Don Quixote, an excerpt from the novel The Ingenious Nobleman, Mr. Quixote of La Mancha by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. Our players are Verity St. Marie, Max Baskin, Lynn Parsons, Michelle Morrison, William Wolfe, and Chris G. Please enjoy. Come, sit, listen. I once heard a story that started like this. At this point, they came in sight of 30 to 40 windmills that were on the plain. And as soon as Don Quixote saw them, he turned to his squire, Sancho Panza. Fortune is arranging matters for us better than we could have shaped our desires ourselves. For look there, friend Sancho Panza, where thirty or more monstrous giants present themselves, all of whom I mean to engage in battle and slay, and with whose spoils we shall begin to make our fortunes. For this is righteous warfare, and it is God's good service to sweep so evil a breed from off the face of the earth. What giants? Those! Thou seest there with the long arms, and some have them nearly two leagues long. Look, your worship, what we see there are not giants, but windmills. And what seem to be their arms are the sails that, turned by the wind, make the millstone go. It is easy to see that thou art not used to this business of adventures. Those are giants. And if thou art afraid, away with thee out of this, and betake thyself to prayer while I engage them in fierce and unequal combat. So saying, he gave the spur to his steed Rosinante, heedless of the cries his squire Sancho sent after him. Most certainly those are windmills and not giants you're going to attack. Don Quixote, however, was so positive they were giants that he neither heard the cries of Sancho nor perceived, near as he was, what they were, but made at them shouting all the way. Fly not, cowards and vile beings, for a single knight attacks you. A slight breeze at this moment sprang up, and the great sails began to move. Though ye flourish more arms than the giant Briarius, ye have to reckon with me. O my beautiful Dulcinea, I implore you with all of my heart to support me in this time of my desperate peril. So saying, with his lance in rest and covered by his buckler, he charged at Rosinante's fullest gallop and fell upon the first mill that stood in front of him. But as he drove his lance point into the sail, the wind whirled it round with such force that it shivered the lance to pieces, sweeping with it horse and rider, who went rolling over on the plain in a sorry condition. Sancho hastened to his assistance as fast as his ass could go, and when he came up, found him unable to move. With such a shock had Rosinante fallen with him. God order it as he may. Sancho, helping him to rise, got him up again on Rosinante, whose shoulder was half out, and then, discussing the late adventure, 
they followed the road to Puerto Lapiz. On the road to Puerto Lapiz, we cannot fail to find adventures in abundance and variety, as it is a great thoroughfare. I am much grieved at the loss of my lance, and it reminds me of having read about a Spanish knight, Diego Perez de Vargas by name. He, having broken his sword in battle, tore from an oak a ponderous bough or branch, and with it did such things that day and pounded so many moors that he got the surname of Machuca, and he and his descendants from that day forth were called Vargas y Machuca. I mention this because from the first oak I see, I mean to rend such another branch, large and stout like that, with which I am determined and resolved to do such deeds that thou mayest deem thyself very fortunate in being found worthy to come and see them, and be of eyewitness of things that will with difficulty be believed. Be that as God will, I believe it as your worship says it, but straighten yourself a little, for you seem all on one side, maybe from the shaking of the fall. That is the truth. And if I make no complaint of the pain, it is because knights errant are not permitted to complain of any wound, even though their bowels be coming out through it. If so, I have nothing to say. But God knows I would rather your worship complained when anything ailed you. For my part, I must complain however small the ache may be. Unless this rule about not complaining extends to the squires of knights errant also? Don Quixote could not help laughing at his squire's simplicity. <laughs> I assure you, you may complain whenever and however you choose, just as you like, for so far I have never read of anything to the contrary in the order of knighthood. And so, as they traveled and the day grew longer, Sancho Panza grew hungry. Oh, I bade you remember that it is dinner time. I want nothing myself just now, but you may eat when you have a mind. With this permission, Sancho settled himself as comfortably as he could on his beast, and taking out of the saddlebags what he had stowed away in them, he trotted along behind his master, munching deliberately, from time to time taking a pull on the wineskin with a relish that the thirstiest tapster in Malaga might have envied. He went on in this way, gulping down draft after draft. Some people might think of this as hardship. But I think of it rather as recreation, going in quest of adventures, however dangerous they might be. Finally, they passed the night among some trees, from one of which Don Quixote plucked a dry branch to serve him after a fashion as a lance, and fixed on it the head he had removed from the broken one. Ah, oh, my good squire. Asleep after a good day of adventuring. But there is no rest for me for thought of sweet Dulcinea. Ah, Dulcinea. How many a night in the forests and deserts have nights lain sleepless, supported by the memory of their mistresses? Not so did Sancho Panza spend his night. For having his stomach full of something stronger than chicory water, he slept so soundly that if his master had not called him, Neither the rays of the sun beating on his face, nor all the cheery notes of the birds welcoming the approach of day would have had power to wake him. On getting up, he tried the wineskin and found it somewhat less full than the night before, which grieved his heart because they did not seem to be on the way to remedy the deficiency readily. 
Don Quixote did not care to break his fast, for, as had been already said, he confined himself to savory recollections for nourishment. They returned to the road to Puerto Lapis, and at three in the afternoon, they came in sight of it. Here, brother Sancho Panza, we may plunge our hands up to the elbows in what they call adventures. But observe, even shouldst thou see me in the greatest danger in the world, thou must not put a hand to thy sword in my defense. Unless indeed thou perceivest that those who assail me are rabble or base folk, and in that case thou mayest very properly aid me. But if they be knights, it is on no account permitted or allowed thee by the laws of knighthood to help me until thou hast been dubbed a knight. Most certainly, Signor, shall your worship be fully obeyed in this matter. All the more, as of myself, I am peaceful and no friend to mixing in strife and quarrels. It is true that as regards to the defense of my own person, I shall not give much heed to those laws. For laws, human and divine, allow each one to defend himself against any assailant whatever. That I grant. But in this matter of aiding me against knights, thou must put a restraint upon thy natural impetuosity. I will do so, I promise you, and will keep this precept as carefully as Sunday. There appeared on the road two friars of the Order of St. Benedict, mounted on two mules, with their two muleteers on foot. They wore traveling spectacles and carried sunshades. Behind them came a coach attended by four or five persons on horseback. In the coach, there was, as afterwards appeared, a Biscay lady on her way to Sabia, where her husband was about to take passage for the Indies with an appointment of high honor. The friars, though traveling the same road, were not in her company. Either I am mistaken, or this is going to be the most famous adventure that has ever been seen. For those black-robed villains we see there must be, and doubtless are, magicians who are carrying off some stolen princess in that coach. And with all my might, I must undo this wrong. This will be worse than the windmills. Look, senor, those are friars of St. Benedict. And the coach plainly belongs to some travelers. I tell you to mind well what you're about, and don't let the devil mislead you. I have told thee already, Sancho, that on the subject of adventures thou knowest little. What I say is the truth, as thou shalt see presently. So saying, he advanced and posted himself in the middle of the road along which the friars were coming. And as soon as he thought they had come near enough to hear what he said, he cried aloud, Devilish and unnatural beings, release instantly the high-born princesses whom you are carrying off by force in this coach. Else prepare to meet a speedy death as the just punishment of your evil deeds. The friars drew rein and stood wondering at the appearance of Don Quixote, as well as at his words. Signor Caballero, we are not devilish or unnatural, but two brothers of St. Benedict following our road. Nor do we know whether or not there are any captive princesses coming in this coach. No soft words with me. For I know you, lying rabble! Ah! Without waiting for a reply, he spurred Rosinante and with leveled lance charged the first friar with such fury and determination that if the friar had not flung himself off the mule, Don Quixote would have brought him to the ground against his will and sorely wounded, if not killed him outright. The second brother, seeing how his comrade was treated, drove his heels into his humongous mule and made off across the country faster than the wind. Sancho Panza, when he saw the friar on the ground, 
dismounted briskly from his ass, rushed towards the fallen friar, and began to strip off his gown. At that instant, the friar's muleteers approached. Why are you stripping our master? This falls to us lawfully, a spoil of the battle which my lord Don Quixote has won. What are you talking about? We'll show you a battle on guard! Gotcha! No! Don't stop the face! Without any more delay, they helped the trembling and terrified friar to mount. As soon as he found himself in the saddle, the friar spurred after his companion, who was standing at a distance, looking on, watching the result of the onslaught, not caring to wait for the end of the affair. They pursued their journey, crossing themselves more than if they had the devil after them. Meanwhile, Don Quixote was speaking to the lady in the coach. Your beauty, lady mine, may now dispose of your person as may be most in accordance with your pleasure. For the pride of your ravishers lays prostrate on the ground through this strong arm of mine. And lest you should be pining to know the name of your deliverer, know that I am called Don Quixote of La Mancha, knight-errant and adventurer, and captive to the peerless and beautiful lady Dulcinea del Toboso. And in return for the service you have received of me, I ask no more than that you should return to El Toboso, and on my behalf, present yourself before that lady and tell her what I have done to set you free. One of the squires in attendance upon the coach, a Biscayan, was listening to all Don Quixote was saying. Perceiving that he would not allow the coach to go on, but was saying that it must return at once to El Toboso, he attacked him, seized his lance, and addressed him in Belian and worse, Biscayan. Begone, caballero, and ill go with thee. By the god that made me, unless thou quittest coach, slayest thee as art here, Biscayan. If thou wert a knight, as thou art none, I should have already chastised thy folly and rashness, miserable creature. I know, gentlemen. I swear to God as thou liest as I am Christian. If thou droppest lance and drawest sword, soon shalt thou see thou art carrying water to the cat. Biscayan on land, Hidalgo at sea, Hidalgo at the devil, and look, if thou sayest otherwise, thou liest. As you wish! Don Quixote, throwing his lance on the ground, drew his sword, braced his buckler on his arm, and attacked the Biscayan, bent upon taking his life. When the Biscayan saw him, though he wished to dismount from his sorry rented mule, he had no choice but to draw his sword. It was lucky for him, however, that he was near the coach, from which he was able to snatch a cushion that served him for a shield. They went at one another as if they had been two mortal enemies. The others strove to make peace between them, but could not, for the Biscayan declared in his disjointed phrase that if they did not let him finish his battle, he would kill his mistress and everyone that strove to prevent him. The lady in the coach, amazed and terrified at what she saw, ordered the coachman to draw aside a little and set herself to watch this severe struggle. In the course of their battle, the Biscayan smote Don Quixote a mighty stroke on his shoulder over the top of his buckler, which, given to one without armor, would have cleft him to the waist. O oh, lady of my soul, Dulcinea, flower of beauty, 
Come to the aid of this, your knight, who, in fulfilling his obligations to your beauty, finds himself in this extreme peril. To say this? To lift his sword, to shelter himself well behind his buckler, and to assail the Biscayan was the work of an instant, determined as he was to venture all upon a single blow. The Biscayan, seeing him come on in this way, was convinced of his courage by his spirited bearing and resolved to follow his example. So he waited for him, keeping well under cover of his cushion, being unable to execute any sort of maneuver with his mule, which dead tired and never meant for this kind of game could not stir a step. On then, as aforesaid, came Don Quixote against the wary Biscayan with uplifted sword and a firm intention of splitting him in half. While on his side, the Biscayan waited for him, sword in hand and under the protection of his cushion, all present stood trembling, waiting in such suspense for the result of blows that threatened to fall. By the love of our Lord God and his blessed saints, Miguel, Paul, Tomas, Martin, Jorge, and Josef, deliver ourselves from this great peril. But sadly, at this point in crisis, dear listener, the battle must be left impending, for there is nothing more written about the achievements of Don Quixote than has already been set forth. It is true that this author was unwilling to believe that a history so curious could have been allowed to fall under the sentence of oblivion, or that the wits of La Mancha could have been so undiscerning as not to preserve their archives or registries referring to this famous knight. Alas, his tale will have to be in stories told another day. I hope you enjoyed the tale. When you return, perhaps I will tell you another. Come visit the most mysterious and befuddling landmark in all of Wisconsin, the God-Shaped Hole. How do we know it's God-shaped? You'll just have to swing by to find out. Trust me, once you see it, you too will say, that's one God-Shaped Hole. The God-Shaped Hole, right off 90, just outside of Lemon Weir. The tale of the good fortune of valiant Don Quixote was reinterpreted by Thomas Sixton. For more information on Anansi Storytime, visit us at spiderstorytime.com. Please review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever we're available. It goes a long way to help people find us. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Fire on you, black guy! Uh, Take that! Ha! And this! Uh, uh, at your hand! That goes there! No! No! Ah! I have you now! No! I'm a man of God! Take it! Take this sword! Ha! Huh?